Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. I was talking with Pastor Kent this week. Um, we were having a conversation about technology, and I was just saying to him that, um, man, one of the things about our generation is technology uh, makes everyone feel like they're experts. Um, just for example, you can think about YouTube, and I don't know about you, but if you need to fix anything or do anything, I'm going to need just look it up on YouTube. Like, you, you literally, like, if you don't, like, if your pipe's busted, you're in your apartment or whatever, or you're trying to figure out how to fix the, the faucet, you can go on YouTube, find the exact make and model, and there's like a hundred videos that somebody will walk you through each step on how to repair that faucet. And so, like, you can learn a lot of stuff from watching something as simple as YouTube. Um, but just because you learned how to fix a pipe on YouTube doesn't mean you know what it means to be a plumber. Right? And just because you learned how to install a ceiling fan by watching YouTube doesn't mean you're now an electrician. Right? And so we can see that even though you can learn something, it doesn't mean you know everything. And the same could be said that even though you have come to faith in Christ and you have heard and received the gospel doesn't mean you know what it means to follow Jesus. So a lot of Christians, if you talk to most Christians, you could say, man, you know, articulate to me the gospel. Articulate to me what it means to be saved. And people, will say, they'll say it. Man, you got to repent and believe by faith, confess your sins and turn to Jesus by faith and you will be saved. People can say that like that. But if you ask the same Christians, explain to me quickly and biblically what it means to follow Jesus. It's like, a, well, you know, and then you kind of like start throwing stuff out there. It doesn't come as easy as it does in articulating the gospel. But here's the thing. A call to salvation is a call to following Christ. And so I would ask you, do you if someone asked you this morning, what does it mean to follow Jesus biblically? Could you just... Spurred it out like that? Or would there be like a hesitancy? Man, I got to really, really think about that. And there's a lot with that. Here's what I want to spend time doing this morning is I, I want to speak to the little child in you. I want you to go back to when you first met Jesus. Maybe that was when you were a kid. Maybe that was 10 years ago. Maybe that was 10 days ago. Maybe 10 hours ago. Maybe you don't even know him. You want to know him this morning. I want you to go back because you know the farther you get away from that, you feel like I don't need to really process that no more. I got the gospel now. But in humility, I would, just, I would ask you to consider going back to when you first met him or as far back as you can remember that because some of you are like, man, I've known the Lord as far as I can remember since I was a child. That's an amazing testimony. Well, I want you to go back to that beginning, that place. I'm going to speak to that little child in you. And my prayer is that the Lord himself will give you clarity on what it means to follow him in a generation, in a country, in a world that struggles to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so I know that that's only a work that the Spirit can do, but I feel like our lives will look radically different. And we're at the point in Mark where Jesus unpacks what it means to truly follow him. And so the title of this morning's message is, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? Let's pray, if you could just bow your heads with me. Lord, your word says in Hebrews 12, 4, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God, would your word be alive and active this morning in our hearts? Would it be sharper than any two-edged sword and do some surgery on us? Would it pierce the division of our soul and of our spirit and of our mind and our thoughts and our motives this morning? And would you teach us truly what it means to follow you? Would you speak to the little kid in all of us? We ask you to do a work this morning and teach us what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're in Mark, I'm reading from the ESV. We're in Mark chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 14 to 20. And there's three things, three observations from this passage that I want to point out to you on what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the first one that we learn here. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jot this down. It means exalting Jesus publicly at the, ex- at the expense of myself. If you want to follow Jesus, it means you will live a life of exalting him publicly that comes at the expense of yourself. Where do we get that from? In Mark 1, beginning in verse 14, I'm reading 14 and 15, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus now is beginning his ministry and he starts in Galilee. And Galilee, we'll learn a lot more about Galilee. There's a lot going on in Galilee. And there's a reason why he spends a lot of time doing ministry around the Sea of Galilee. But he now is beginning his ministry. Mind you, Jesus is around 30. He's been waiting his whole life as he walks as the Son of God on earth to start his ministry And now he's starting and he's preaching the gospel. It's time. He's preaching about the kingdom of God, not just salvation, but God's reign and rule, eternal kingdom. And he's calling people to repent and believe. The message of God, repent, turn from sin, and believe in Christ. And so Jesus has a mission, a ministry, a plan. If there's anything that we can be encouraged by, if you could look at verse 14, it's this. Jesus has a mission, a ministry, and a plan. We just get incorporated into it. It's not really even our ministry. It's all his. And we get the privilege of being a part of that. Anytime you speak for him, you're speaking for him. Anything you do in his name, it's for him. It's a plan that he's had from the foundations of the world that we get to step into. But there's something that you just can kind of gloss over if you look at verse 14 when it talks about Jesus coming to Galilee. It's the beginning part of that. And it said, now after John was arrested, it just kind of moves on from that. What happened there? Two weeks ago, we were talking about John's calling and preaching in the wilderness and how his life was meant to prepare the way for the Messiah. And now we we haven't even gotten out of chapter 1. We get to verse 14, and it's like, yeah, and after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. Well, what happened to John the Baptist? Why did he get arrested? And I'll tell you why. He he had served faithfully. If you even think about John, just think about his calling. He had served faithfully up until this point in the wilderness. We talked about it. And now he's in prison. His ministry is over. 
What we learn from John's situation is that following Jesus means exalting Jesus publicly, as we saw John doing two weeks ago, but sometimes it comes at the expense of yourself. We read the verses that talked about how he was going to be that voice crying in the wilderness, but it didn't say, oh, yeah, and you're going to end up in prison and you won't get out. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you think about following Jesus, are you willing to be John the Baptist? Are you willing to live a life that exalts Jesus at the expense of yourself? Remember what he said, man, there's someone coming before me whose shoelaces I'm not even worthy to untie. He must increase, I must decrease. And that same John the Baptist, who Jesus says there was no other greater prophet than John the Baptist, is now in prison. Is that what he signed up for? To make Jesus look great and I go to jail? Suffering. The same God who can heal people won't open a prison cell for him. He's about to experience suffering. What we realize is in this world, we don't run naturally to suffering. And we suffer for a variety of reasons. I've been walking with my little brother since 2019 through his cancer. The last few weeks have been brutal. I basically have lived at the hospital, back and forth every day to the ER. And just to see him suffering, it's challenging. I'm looking at the doctors just work with him. And, you know, he always told me, like, yeah, whenever his face and his neck swells up, they have to check his throat and put a camera down there. I thought they put him to sleep. No, he's wide awake. They put it through his nose and push it down his throat. And I remember holding his hand and saying, man, I'm in my head, I'm like, man, I couldn't do that. Man, that'd be tough. I couldn't do that. Man, Kyrie, you're so strong. I couldn't do that. That'd be hard for me. See, it doesn't matter if we're talking about suffering for Jesus or battling cancer. Nobody runs to suffering. Naturally, we run from suffering, not towards suffering. Anything that makes us feel threatened, anything that makes us feel rejected, anything that makes you feel vulnerable or exposed, anything that makes you feel criticized or any form of pain or loss, you run from it. We run from it. But to follow Jesus means that exalting him publicly and living for him will come at the expense of yourself at times you will suffer. It's actually a calling. It just comes with being a Christ follower, Christ follower. Philippians 1.29 says this. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. Not just believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Paul then would go on later, and he would talk about all the great things he has, his degrees, his ethnicity, all the background, all the stuff. And he says this in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have what? Suffered. The loss of all things. And how do you feel about them, Paul? I count them as rubbish in order I may gain Christ. He's more valuable to me than my degree. He's worth more to me than my pride. If somebody wants to reject me, then oh well. Even my own kinsmen, Paul said. We want so desperately to be seen as great and liked by everyone. Seriously, deep down inside, there's something else. You want everybody to love you. I mean, that was genius to come up with the like button for social media. 
because it meets the need of us wanting affirmation so bad. And what we will do to get more likes, more followers, more friends. John the Baptist wanted Jesus to be seen as great, even if it meant that he personally wouldn't be received and liked by everyone. And you know why he's in prison, right? For standing on the truth of God's word. Even at the expense of himself, we'll get, it, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, but just to jump ahead in Mark 6, 17 to 18, here's what happened. It said, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And in our generation, people be like, oh, you're not loving John's like, it's not good for you to be married to your brother's wife. I'm going to call it straight. Repent and believe. You know what he said? You're going to jail. Lock him up. He's standing on the truth of God's word. That means if you stand on the truth of God's word, suffering will come. Unless you cherry pick. Man, I'm going to say this, but I ain't going to talk about that. I'm going to post this, but I ain't going to post that. Jesus said this in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when everybody loves you. You know what they did to your Savior? They killed him, crucified him. And we like, well, I want everybody to love me. Now, it might be easy for you to be like, well, Pastor John, you're just saying that you're a pastor, man. You know, people like you or whatever, man. You know how much stuff... The first time I ever wore a cross on my neck for Christ, my first year in prison, converted from Islam to following Christ. People I knew since I was 12 that I was in prison, you know what they did when they saw me, surrounded me and snatched it off my neck and threw it in my face. Oh, you going to reject Allah? You kafir? That's an unbelieving former Muslim. Oh, you kafir? All right, well, if you want to trust in your Jesus, oh, and if anybody in here going to get at you, you ain't nobody going to protect you. You on your own. You know what my name was for the next year and a half? Kaffir. Are you okay with someone snatching the cross off your neck and throwing it in your face? Or do you want to be liked so much? Are you afraid to stand for Jesus at your job? Because your paycheck matters more than souls? Are you afraid to stand for Christ with your family? Or with your neighbor? You're afraid to stand for truth because you call it being loving? Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Are you afraid to call out sin? Then how shall they ever repent? From what? What does it mean to follow Jesus? In order for you to serve Jesus effectively and follow him consistently, you must exalt him publicly, even at the expense of yourself. And let me tell you, if you ain't getting in no spiritual warfare and everybody loves you, you ain't shining bright enough. Because scripture says the darkness hates light. Let your light so shine. We're in darkness. People don't run to the light. They run from it. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you must be willing to suffer for Jesus. And are you willing to do that at the expense of yourself? But here's the second thing. 
If you're going to follow Jesus, it means holding tightly, holding to Jesus tightly and all things loosely. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You hold to Jesus tightly and you hold to all things loosely. Where do you get that at? Well, look where Jesus now, we're transitioning from Jesus preaching the gospel to him now calling his followers. Remember what we're saying, the, the series we're looking at studying Mark, how Jesus was interacting with his followers. Well, here's when he, were call, he was calling them in verse 16. It says this, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, here's the call. I love this. Here's the call that Jesus gives to all who seek salvation and refuge in him. Two words, follow me. To get to him, it's repent and believe. But then everything after that is follow me. A person, not a concept, a person. So the Christian life isn't simply you're forgiven. It's more than that. It's salvation in Christ is also a call to follow Christ. There is no one without the other. They're glued together. You come to Jesus for salvation, you got to follow him forever. He's not just your savior, he's your Lord, master. That's why Jesus would say to the, everyone, he would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? <laughs> we say everything all the time, Lord, Lord, Lord. That mean, the word Lord means master. It's the idea that you're like a slave to him. And so here it is, this, this, this is amazing. He finds them, Andrew and Peter, they're fishermen, they're in their boat. He says, follow me, and he gives them a completely new purpose. He says, I will make you fishers of men. So you're not fishers of men. You don't know how to catch people. You don't even care much about people. But I'm going to make you that. From here forward, their focus will be on Jesus and people, not Jesus and possessions. I will make you fishers of men. Now, let me just put ourselves in their shoes. I want you to just enter yourself. Just put yourself in their shoes. You're in that boat. You're fishing. You've been doing this your whole life. Your parents taught you how to fish. This is your business. Like, here's, here's what it means for them. First of all, it means they're quitting their jobs. Their livelihood, when he says, follow me, if they say yes, they're quitting their jobs. Their livelihood, that's their means of income. That's how they eat. Two, it means that their plans and their dreams have changed. We don't know what plans and dreams Peter had. He probably was like, man, you know what? Like normally in that culture, whatever you did, you learned it from your father if you were male. So that means that if they were fishermen, that means their dad was a fisherman. Their grandfather was a fisherman. More than likely, they probably wanted to study Torah, be faithful to the law, and have a successful, productive fishing business. That's the plan. That's the dream. All that changed when they met Jesus. And they didn't see it coming. It's not like, oh, Jesus is going to meet us tomorrow at 3.30 and tell us to drop all that we're doing. They didn't see it coming. It's like you going to work tomorrow and bam, the spirit hits you at like 12 noon. You ever had that before? Yeah. Where you just driving and the spirit just boom. You like, man, the Lord just really like hit me, right? 
We don't know what difficulties or challenges they faced in life. We just make the assumption. We don't know what they was going through. We don't know if somebody was battling depression. We don't know if someone's family member was sick. We don't know what, what debts they owed or what they had going on in their life. We just assume that it was easy. And we don't know what they had to walk away from. And here's the last thing. They don't even know how the details will work out. Jesus just told them what? Not how everything is going to work out. And maybe you've been there before. There's times I meet with people and they be like, well, what about this? Or how's this? I don't know. The Lord told Abraham, go south and I will make you a great nation. Or can you give me all the steps on how this is going to work out? No, just start going south. God just works like that sometimes. He's like, do this. And you don't obey because you don't understand why. You got to wait till you know everything. Here's the thing. When you drop your nets, which is what they did, other Christians who are content with being lukewarm, other Christians who cling tightly to the things of this world will say things like, man, it doesn't take all that. Or can't you have both? Like, it's like, no, if you get out this boat, leave your net there. What you have in this world is a lot of Christians trying to follow Jesus. They're like, I'm bringing my nets. You can't do that. Now, I know you saw this and you see like, well, yeah, for them, dropping their nets as fishermen, they they were quitting their job. Drop your nets doesn't mean that you need to quit your job today. Even though that literally, it may mean that for some. It meant that for me when I was in Philly, when God said go to Chicago. But what it means when we say drop your nets, it means quit holding things more tightly than Jesus right now. Let me ask you a question. What are you clinging to more tightly than Jesus right now? Plans that you're like, well, I had this plant in my head since I was 10. The Lord put this on my heart. Really? What possessions are you refusing to let go of? Well, man, if I follow the things that Jesus put on my heart, I don't know how I'm going to pay for. I got these student loans. I got this house. I got this. Maybe you won't let go of your pride. Remember what we said two weeks ago when we talked about the need for revival and what was needed for revival? There had to be a clear path between Jesus and what? Your heart. Nothing could be in the way, right? It's the same thing when it's following Jesus. There can be nothing that you hold to more tightly than Jesus. So what it means to follow Jesus is you cling to him tightly and you hold everything else loosely. If you don't do it, you can't follow Jesus. Now, can I give you a word of encouragement? Because I know as you sit here, the little child in you, finds it hard to let go of things. You're like, well, man, it's so hard. There's other things I want to hold to tightly. Here's an astonishing truth. Jesus dropped his nets first. It's a biblical truth. When he emptied himself of his glory and came down to earth, he had to drop his nets in obedience to the Father. Philippians 2 Five, eight said this, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but here it is, but emptied himself, dropped your nets, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, dropped his nets, 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus dropped his nets first. And he calls us to give ourselves entirely to him because he has first given all of himself to us. To drop your nets is to completely give yourself over to Jesus. I call this being abandoned to Christ. When you're abandoned to something, it means you're completely giving over to it. F.B. Meyer, a great author and preacher, says it this way. It isn't enough to give our time or energy or money. Many gladly give anything rather than themselves. But none of these will be counted as a sufficient substitute by him who gave not only his possessions, but also gave his very self for us. In the same way the Lord Jesus was all for us, he asked that we be all for him, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus doesn't want some of you. He died for all of you. In fact, Scripture says you aren't even your own. You don't even belong to yourself. You belong to him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And let me just tell you, you only need to talk to a Christian for about 15, 20 minutes before you could tell if they dropped their nets or not. People can tell if you dropped your nets or not. You just got to talk to somebody for like 15, 20 minutes. I get that we all have stressful weeks and we vent about different stuff, but all you got to do is talk to a Christian for about 15, 20 minutes and you can tell if they dropped their nets or not. Here's how. People who have dropped their nets, they talk in a way that shows that they cling very tightly to Jesus and very loosely with things. I don't care if they're a millionaire, if they're broke, what ethnicity they are, where they live in the world. You only got to talk to them for 15 minutes to understand if they hold tightly to Jesus and loosely to things. People who have not dropped their nets, you only got to talk to them for about 20 minutes, and it's clear they hold tightly to things and they hold loosely to Jesus. It just spills out of you. What would Jesus, what would, what would God often say in the Old Testament to Israel? Cling to me. Cleave to me. Cling to me like a little kid holds on to a parent's leg. Cling to me. There was once a little girl, and she had a teddy bear named Ruxy, who her father had given her as a gift. Every day she played with Ruxy. When she wanted to be a princess, she dressed up like one. She had Ruxy. She had her teeth in, Ruxy. Did sports, Ruxy. In fact, when she would go on family vacation, she would bring Ruxy with her. And guess who she snuggled up when she went to sleep? Ruxy, her teddy bear. One day, her parents were going on vacation. They said, man, we're going on a road trip for two weeks. We're going to Universal Studios. We're stopping at different cities. This is going to be so much fun. We're going to be hiking. We're going to stop at stores. We're going to have a great time. We're packed. We're ready to go. She was excited, and then she realized, where's Ruxy? The next hour and a half, the parents spent looking through the whole house for Ruxy. And then finally, it was, you know what? We're about to experience all this stuff. We, we know Ruxy's here. We could, we could figure it out. When we get back, we'll look for Ruxy. We're about to go to Universal Studios for a week. We're stopping at all these different cities. We're stopping at the Grand Canyon. We're going to be eating. We're gonna, you're going to get more toys. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to see family. Like, let's, let's just go. She did not want to go. She wanted to stay home. And finally said, why do you want to stay home? And she shouted out, none of this means anything to me if Ruxy is not with me. That's what it means to drop your nets. What this means, what it means to hold tightly to Jesus and loosely to everything means, if Jesus isn't with me and I don't have him, none of this means anything to me. 
Oh, well, we're going here. We're going there. No, I don't care. I'll give you the job. I'll give you this. I'll give you the person. I'll give you the health. I'll give you none of it means nothing to me. You'd be surprised how very few Christians can actually say this with integrity. Nothing of this, whatever you're talking about, don't mean nothing to me. A lick of anything to me if Jesus ain't with me. I don't even want to go on a trip. But this is what it means to follow Jesus. If I could just speak to you in a word of exhortation this morning, this is the place Jesus is trying to take you to, beloved, this morning. To where you can say no matter what season of life you are in, no matter how old or how young, you will say none of this matters if I don't have him. The trip is not as appealing. And notice their response again in verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. When? Immediately. That's right, Dave. Out of the mouth of babes. Immediately. Nothing to talk about. At all. Oh, let me go fast and pray about this. No. You're talking to the one who told you to do it. How many of you would have faulted Peter if he said, well, Lord, you know, I am one with my wife. I need to go home and talk to her. I can't just quit the business like this and not talk to my wife. Man, that's an argument waiting to happen. Let me just, let me just go home. Let me talk to her first. Let me just, you know, let me pray about it. I can't just throw this on her lap. Yeah, I sold a boat. I dropped the nets. I sold a business. Well, how are we going to pay for next month's round? Oh, Jesus told me to follow him. And I won't be around much because I'm traveling with him. Put yourself in the world of what's going on. This seemed like a cool story to us. This is real people, real conversations. And notice that it said, look at the heart of a true follower of Christ. Immediately. Jesus said something, I respond immediately. Love it. Sisters and brothers, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that we hold to Jesus tightly in all things loosely. But here's the third and final thing, jot this down, of what it means to follow Jesus. It means valuing Jesus above all other relationships. So it doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 19. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. This is a different John. This is John who was one of the disciples and wrote the Gospel of John in 1 John. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. <laughs> this is just crazy. Jesus is making his rounds. He's like, follow me. And they're stopping what they're doing. So for James and John, well, back up for Peter, for, for Simon and Andrew, they simply had to just drop their nets. But for James and John, they had to walk away from some relationships mainly their daily interactions with their father. They're in, their fish, they're in their boat with dad. Following Jesus meant that they had to follow him, Jesus, more than their dad. They don't only have to drop their nets, but they also have to get out the boat and leave behind whoever's in the boat. Let me ask you a question. Are you finding it hard to drop your nets and get out of the boat? Do you value certain people or certain relationships more than Jesus? Now, this doesn't mean at all that they should not love their father. That's one of the commandments, to honor your father and mother. In this culture, you're supposed to be taking care of your parents, especially as they get older. And Jesus is like, get out of the boat. 
The fact that they have servants says that they got money. Money, money. Leave that alone. Get out of the boat. Forget the money. Forget your bank account. Forget what you have. Forget what's going on with your father. Follow me. I call it the whiteboard. Everybody got a board that they wrote all their dreams and plans on. And you meet Jesus, and he's like, all right. He brings the eraser out. Whiteboard. He turns it right into a whiteboard. He's like, what you doing? Cleaning this thing off. A follower of Christ says, Lord, fill it in with whatever. And everybody's board looks different. Stop board comparing. John the Baptist's board looked a lot different than Peter's board. Looked different than Mary and Martha's board. Everybody's board looks different, but the same person fills it in. Do you value parents more than Jesus? Do you value your kids more than Jesus? Do you value your spouse or having a spouse more than Jesus? Do you value friends that you have in your circle more than Jesus? Now, you might be like, man, that seems pretty radical. Let me tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. This is Jesus' voice. Verse, uh, voice. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I ain't say that. Jesus said that. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Stop right there. It means that you can make your family an idol. Back up. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross, instrument of suffering, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can we just unpack that for a second? Jesus says, no other relationship over me, period. I don't care if it's mom, dad, son, daughter, sibling, Danielle, whoever, John. Nobody comes before me. It's the first commandment. And you shall have no other gods, no other people before me. So Jesus says, first commandment, I am God. Don't put nobody before me. Not even your family. I'm demanding from you that level of allegiance. Then he says, and take up your cross, an instrument of suffering. Did we not see that with John the Baptist? Right? Exalting, exalting Jesus at the expense of yourself. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's heavy. And then notice what he says lastly. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Meaning, he who clings tightly to the things of this world and holds, the, holds me loosely will lose everything. But he who holds tightly to me and holds loosely to the things of this world will have everything. Whoever finds his life, that's me, will lose it in this world. Whoever loses his life in this world because you want to hold on to everything, for my sake, will find it. Let me put it to you this way. Your love for Christ will be most seen not just in what you are willing to do for him, but also in what you are willing to walk away from for him. That's a painful lesson the Lord has taught me over the years. 
We always think, well, our love for Jesus is seeing so much as what we're going to run to. Lord, I'll do this, I'll do that, but also what we're willing to turn away from for him. When they got out of that boat, when they dropped their nets, they was turned away from some stuff. And it's easy for us to read through that in two seconds and think it's a cool story and pull out our highlighter and highlight that. That was a lot of pain and things to process. It's like Jesus showing up to you and saying, man, all right, leave right now, clock out, follow me. What do you mean? What's going on? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to pick up my kids at three. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what am I supposed to do? But this is the tension that they felt. This is the tension that we're called to. Wherever your allegiance to anything, whenever your allegiance to anything or anyone is greater than your allegiance to Jesus, you become an easier target for the enemy to get to and control. Let me say that again. Whenever your allegiance to anything or anyone is greater than your allegiance to Jesus, you become an easier target for the enemy to get to and control. When she loves that thing more than Jesus, all the enemy got to do is dangle that thing. She's going to struggle. There's a reason why Lot's wife turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. Because even though the angel said, go forward, I'm saving you, and don't look back, they was like, well, what about pillar of salt? And I don't know what that thing is for you, but we all have some things where we just struggle to put that down. And deep down in your heart, you know right now, even right now, the Spirit is showing you, and you're like, man, if I could just get that out the way, I could serve the Lord with reckless abandonment. And Lord, I want to run to you, but man, it's hard to run away from. Whenever your allegiance to anything or anyone is greater than your allegiance to Jesus, you become an easier target for the enemy to get to and control. But I want to encourage you as our worship team comes up. I believe that God wants to do something with the men and women in this room that's listening. D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Bible Institute, when they were interviewing him and they were talking to him about the things we're talking about, following Christ and revival and pursuing God and consecration. Here's what D.L. Moody said. It's a famous, probably the most famous well-known quote. He said this, the world has yet to see what God could do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Good for you, D.L. My sister, the world has yet to see what God would do with a woman that's fully consecrated to him. By God's help, Aim to be that woman, my sister. Stop playing games. Get off the gram and get on your knees and start praying. Brothers, the world has yet to see what God could do with the man fully consecrated to him by God's help. Be that man. Stop playing games. Stop binging on Netflix and go fast. Purify yourself. Get sin out of your heart. Repent so the Spirit can fill you and use you. Stop relying on your degree. Rely on the Spirit of God. Church, the world has yet to see what God could do with a group of people who are fully consecrated to him. And what if we would aim with everything in our body to be that way, say, Lord, I have let go of my, I've dropped my nets. It's not easy. I'm willing to exalt you at the expense of myself. I may get my chain snatched. I may get spit upon. I might get fired in the school district. 
but I will be salt and light and I won't dim the light. There's no dim switch. It's either it's on or it's off. You can't turn it down over here. So would that be your prayer? Would that be your heartbeat? Would you drop your nets today and get out of the boat? And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means exalting Jesus publicly at the expense of yourself. It means holding to Jesus tightly in all things loosely, and it means valuing Jesus above all other relationships. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my siblings here that's listening. Lord, you spilt your blood on the cross, and your blood is not cheap. There's no amount of money in the world that can pay for our salvation. There's nothing that anyone could do in this world to make us right with God. It takes you as the eternal son of God to come down and to take all of our sins upon yourself. I thank you, Lord, that you are willing to drop your nets. You haven't asked us to do anything that you haven't done first. You're asking us to give all of ourselves to you because you've given all of us, all of yourself to us. Everything in Christ is yes and amen. Where your spirit is, there's freedom. So, Lord, I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what jobs, what streets, what backgrounds, what friends we have. But would you help us to exalt you at the expense of ourselves? God, if we walk in righteousness, if we stand upon your word, as we try to love our neighbor, some people will respond, but some people, Lord, will spit on us. You said in your word, for those who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. It says it in your word. Blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. God, we desperately want to be liked and affirmed at the expense of your name. Lord, would you help us? I don't know what it looks like, but everyone has something. Every seat, everyone here, myself included, we have something that we hold too tightly that we need to release. Like Lot's wife, we're looking back. We're just trying to coast. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, I'm going to glory. Yes, I'm forgiven. Yes, I'm saved. Glory, hallelujah. Yes, he's my savior. Is he your Lord? Why do you call him Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that he says? So to whatever degree it looks like for each of us, God, to drop our nets, break down the pride. And I just sense right now, Lord, there's some pride here. We're fighting against it because we see what we need to drop. We see what's going on, but we don't want to do it. And so, God, would you help us to drop our nets? And then, God, lastly, God, would you help us to truly value you above all other relationships? It's so easy to put other people's first. It's so easy to put other people's opinions first. So often we care more about what people say or what they will think than what you think. What pleases you? So, Lord, as we continue in this series of the Gospel of Mark, 
We can't move forward this week and hear about how the disciples were first called and how they dropped their nets out of the, got out of the boat and we stay in that boat. On this Sunday, will we drop our nets and get out the boat as well? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Sermons. Join us next week.